Hello, welcome to this episode of the Dentist Profit Playbook podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Harry Singh, helping you grow your facial aesthetics business. Quite excited with our guest today because I actually don't know too much about um, our guest. I've heard him speak. I've been impressed um, when I heard him speak at the My Smile Network. And also I've been following him on LinkedIn and Facebook and actually belong to a couple of his Facebook groups. So I'm actually quite excited. I'm going to be the learner and the listener in today's podcast. So a big welcome to Justin Lee. Harry, thank you so much for having me on. I'm as uh, excited to speak to you as you are to, to have a conversation with me. Thanks so much for inviting me here. Yeah, thank you for accepting the invitation there. So as I said, I, I know a little bit about you, but it's only last year that I met you at yeah. a um, conference. So for our listeners who don't know much about you, if you want to tell me a little bit about yourself and what's your involvement in dentistry and how, well, how you got into dentistry and what you're doing currently. Yeah, so so I'll kind of work from the from from now backwards. So I kind of refer to myself as the dental growth coach, okay. and what I do is work with practice teams and with businesses on how they can improve growth in their business or their practice. And as you know, I'm, I'm good friends with Sandeep Kumar. I work with him and his My Smile Network. Yeah. I also work with a lot of. I've got an interesting kind of business model, Harry. So I work with suppliers to the market. Um, some of my clients are people like Align Technology, yeah. BioHorizons, the implant company, Septodont, the anaesthetic manufacturer, Action, uh, who make a lot of um, kind of equipment for dentistry. So I work on that side of the business. But then I also work with practices. So I've started to work with some of the corporates and I work with practice teams directly as well. And my background, uh, so you know, 32 years ago, I trained as a dental technician. Okay. Actually, not a lot of people know that because... I trained as a technician, qualified, and then went straight from the lab into a sales environment and started selling in the dental market to dentists and labs. And I worked for a couple of different companies. Uh, One of those companies was Dentsply, who at the time were one of the largest dental companies in the world and had a great experience with Dentsply, lots of training, lots of development in sales and leadership. And then in 99, I went to 3M. And yeah. that really transformed my career because I started out in their dental business and then they put me on a leadership development program and, and what they called their leadership fast track. And I then left dentistry. So I went into medical devices and ran a, ran a sales team in medical devices. Then I went into different business leadership positions and ended up in multiple different businesses working across the 3M portfolio of, of divisions and businesses. Uh, and then finally came back to medical in 2015 and ran their largest uh, medical division for about three years uh, until I then left 3M between 2017 and 18 and set my own business up, retrained as a coach, started working with my own clients and then worked my way back into dentistry through my network and the clients that I started working with. So the last probably three years, I've really focused on the dental markets and re-establish some of those connections with some of the great people that I know in my network and meeting lots of different people, including you, Harry, at exhibitions and, and different events that we've been at. Thank you. God, you crammed a lot of experience in that. You must have started working at six years old. You don't look that old. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, Harry. I wish. I wish I felt that young. But uh, Well, I, started, I went straight from school, so I did my A-levels, then went straight from school into an apprenticeship, so I didn't do yeah. the university route, which is, I guess, a bit unconventional for perhaps not so much back then, but for, for, for nowadays, that's quite an unconventional route, really. 
So working with dentists, mm-hmm. obviously you must have some insights because as you said, you've been on the other end in terms of supplying dentists, yes. pain points to pressure they're under. Mm-hmm. And now you can bring that forward and transfer those into helping dentists directly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and helping them to, to navigate that growth journey in the practice. So a lot of dentists that I, I work with are on that, you know, the journey to growing their private practice, reducing dependency on NHS contracts or NHS uh, treatments, and really starting to grow a practice that thrives on, you know, private patient relationships, creating a bit more time and space with the patient, being able to offer much more enjoyable uh, treatment solutions. And a lot of them are cosmetic, but also functional treatment solutions that really transform patients' lives. And also, and like I probably work harder now than I ever did, but I don't see it as hard because I enjoy what I do. Yeah. And that's when you want to get dentists who are waking up every morning excited, not yeah. saying Mrs. Jones, not like Mrs. Jones came for the 100th denture ease. <laughs> and that's his face <laughs> for the denture. Um, you touched yeah. on it. Have you seen practice incorporate facial aesthetics a lot better now and more interesting facial aesthetics? Yeah, I, I think patients are more interested in thinking about everything cosmetic and and going to somebody that can provide them with not only their dental aesthetic needs, but also their facial aesthetic needs. And I think it's such a natural compliment for dentists to be able to think about the whole patient rather than just think about the, you know, the oral health of the patient. And we hear so much, don't we, that we should be thinking about the the whole patient, not just one aspect of it. And I think facial aesthetics as uh, as a skill and as a clinical ex- area of clinical expertise is really natural fit for a lot of dentists so i can see why it's such a such a, a growing market for dentists yeah and also i see it as an untapped market because mm-hmm. as you said patients are having it if the dentist's not offering it or advertising it they're going somewhere else and when i mm-hmm. teach my delegates mostly dentists and they come back after six months they are 10% or 5% of our patients were already having a treatment. I didn't realize yeah. having treatment, but now they know I do it. They're coming and seeing me. Yeah. And it's and it's just becoming more normal. It's a normal accepted part of you know society now, isn't it? That people want to take care of themselves physically, whether that's through you know exercise, whether it's through diet, whether it's through uh, some aesthetic treatments, cosmetic treatment. It, it's a really natural part of how people see, uh, you know, looking after themselves more generally and and facial aesthetics is a big part of it yeah yeah obviously listeners won't know this but we're recording this on valentine's day and i've been swarmed with lip filler patients this morning ready for tonight so I mean, seriously yeah <laughs> <laughs> so us two are not very romantic because obviously we're recording a podcast instead of seeing our partners <laughs> we are but there's always this evening and the girls we've got time we've got time (laughs) so you touched obviously you're in dentistry and you've done other businesses and what i found is a lot of dentists think their business obviously there are some unique differences but business is business and what i found a lot of strategies that in business can work in dentistry and vice versa and there's a lot of crossover have you found that with working with other businesses compared to the dental industry as well Yes, absolutely. Same as you, Harry. I I think one of the big advantages from my career, having stepped outside of dentistry and then coming back in, some of the simple principles that we have that you apply in business are yeah. actually so relevant to dentistry. And when you get a really motivated team, a motivated principal who wants to make 
you know, those improvements in their practice and is open to thinking about how they run it as a business, not just a clinical practice. That's when they really start to see that step change in performance. And you, you're, you hit the, the nail on the head. You know, it is all about treating the practice like a business. And some of those business principles, they're not, they're, you know, they're not common sense. That's the thing. They tend to be things that are easily overlooked when you think about running a practice, because I think it's, it's a double-edged sword. If you're in dentistry in the UK at the moment, it's very difficult to make a, a mess of the business. Okay, you'll, you'll always have enough patience. Yeah. You'll always be able to create a practice environment that works for your team. But the people who become really intentional about creating a high-performing team, a high-performing business, they set goals, they think about the communication with patients, they build out a marketing plan, they think about the conversations and consultations, they think about how do they make sure they're having the highest quality conversation possible, convert at the highest level possible, you know, really engage themselves and their teams in driving a, a, towards a, a really powerful, positive mission, then those businesses absolutely soar. Uh, the, the challenge is that if you don't put a lot of work in, you can still run a fairly successful practice. So it's a blessing and a curse, I think, in dentistry. Yeah, no, I always used to have an argument with a few dentists I know. Okay, you're not really business owners because you just open a door, patients are going to come and see you no yeah. matter what. And then, as you said, it's the really top 5% that excel in business. And yeah. um, do you find, because obviously I've been avid reader, and we'll come on to your book in a minute and go to conference. It's not like a one-day visit where you can transform a practice. It's quite a long-term process to make a successful business. So how... On average, how long do you spend with practices? We tend to, I tend to run, at the moment, we've started to run open programs. So we'll bring cohorts together of yeah. practice owners and, and associates. And we focus really on, on a couple of areas in the early stages. The first is the quality of communication, okay. and in, in particular with patients. So how well are you know the, the clinicians and their teams communicating with patients? How well are they asking questions? understanding the patient's needs, starting to, to make some decisions about, you know, what are the key treatments we want to offer and how do we best position those with patients after we've asked them questions and taken them through the consultative self-process. And just that that's a really important early stage because it starts to increase case acceptance and increase the, the number of treatments they can then convert. And, and that, of course, leads to growth without really having to do a lot more than just improve your quality of communication. Um, and once we get everybody kind of fine-tuned uh, around the communication process, then we start to think about leadership and how do you develop the team and you start to take a more coaching approach to those conversations with team members so they start to think for themselves, make a greater contribution to the practice and the business and start to you know, elevate their own performance so that as the principal or one of the practice managers or pr practice leadership, you're not constantly having to point and direct people to what they should be doing to improve. They start to do that for themselves. And that's when you get that next level of high performance. So we do it through a series of different programs that will invite people to join us on, depending on their position in the practice. We tend to run them over a few months so they get exposure beyond just a, a single, as you says, a single point of contact. Yeah. What's been quite uh, successful for us actually is bringing together cohorts of, of practice owners or associates or partners, because then they start to get that opportunity to share best practice, learn from each other. And we've got this, uh, we call it accountability partners. So yeah. we, tr we try and join them up with somebody else that helps to hold them accountable to make the impact they're looking to make beyond just a program with us. So we really are, we're more interested in the results they get than just training them for the sake of training them. 
Um, and that, that's been pretty successful. So they're the, they're the two areas we specialize in, improving that consultation and the consultative sales process, and then leadership development, in particular, think about how they develop their coaching skills as a leader to improve performance of their teams. Yeah, it's important with our own workshops, we have an accountability partner, but it's someone mm. in there because, as you know, the easiest person to cheat is yourself. Next yeah. easiest person to cheat on is a friend. The hardest person to let down is a stranger. So yeah. I think yeah. that works quite well. Yeah. Uh, one, thing, yeah, one thing I've noticed is also because we run both clinical and non-clinical workshops, it's yeah. quite easy to get the dentist to do the clinical things. They have to do it to get the insurance. Yeah. and non-clinical it's a m- not much harder sell you get more resistance because they think they don't need it or they know it have you found those obstacles from people and dentists yeah it, it tends to be i mean there's, there's you know the classic adoption curve yeah so there's a lot of technology adoption curve it doesn't just apply to technology it applies to business skills it applies to entrepreneurs you you'll always find i've found this throughout my career that you get these uh, you know right at the front edge of the curve of the innovators the people that want to develop grow learn and progress and push themselves and their their practices and then you get this kind of early adopter so there's quite a few more early adopters and they're the people that are similar to the innovators but they want to make sure someone else has done it first so they're quite happy to go along as long as it's proven. And, and then you hit the early majority, those people that are still at the front end of the curve, but really need to see something that's well established uh, before they take they take that leap. And then the final, you know, that's probably half of the marketplace that are in the right position. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you get that late majority and then finally the laggards come along at the end. But so we really are focused, I guess, like you, Harry, on those innovators, early adopters, the people that really want to push the boundaries and are intentional about growth in the practice and their personal and professional growth. Yeah, and, and they, yeah, as you said, because they want to push themselves in, much more pleasant, easier to work with, yeah. take on um, the advice you give them and you can see them excel. Yeah, yeah, and they're very likely people that will be listening to podcasts like this where they are intentional about trying to improve their knowledge, their skills and their expertise to be able to drive a much more successful, profitable practice in the future. We must be really beginning with the curve because we're forgiving, foregoing Valentine dates for this. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if there's a category for us, Harry. <laughs> I don't know if it's possible. <laughs> okay, so, as you said, um, you've had a varied career history, different businesses. Um, what was the best or most important advice you got when starting your own business? Oh, you know, the, the, it's interesting that you, you never, the, the thing I think that's most important is that you never feel ready. Yeah, so I, I was late to entrepreneurship. I was in the corporate world until my mid forties, and I was literally forty-five when I started running my own business. And I've had a lot of leadership experience and had quite a bit of responsibility for large teams, large businesses. But I didn't actually take, make that entrepreneurial leap until I was in my mid forties, and I put it off for a number of years simply because one, because I was in quite a good career. Yeah. And that's always a bit, you know, it's a bit like the trap I mentioned earlier for dentists, where you can run a successful practice, even if you're just flying by the seat in your pants. But yeah. actually, if you get intentional, you can really make an impact. And it was the same with me with my corporate career. So it was making that step change and recognizing that you never feel completely ready. Very often you have to make that commitment. And from making the commitment comes the courage to do it. 
And once you've got the courage to do it, then you start to feel the confidence. And and it's after you've got the confidence that you start to get the capability to to run your business. So sometimes the the big thing is about making the bold move. And if there's anybody that's not made that move into practice ownership or leadership yet, and they're hesitating, it's because they don't feel completely ready. And you know, the best, I think the best advice I got, and it was through reading and through mentors and through programs that I've been on, was you're never going to feel ready as long as you feel some level of confidence and you make the commitment. That's what will drive your success. So sometimes you just have to take the leap of faith. Yes, perfect. Yeah. And one of my mentors said to me, sloppy success is better than perfect theory because everyone waits for the perfect time. Obviously, yeah. as clinicians, you have to have perfect theory. And yeah. that's what I find with dentists, they hold things back because. They have to be 100% right in the clinical and they take that into their business personal life. So they go, sloppy success is better than perfect theory. You're never going to be at the right time. Hey. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. And there's something I've got about um, as long as things you're doing, it's something I learned on an entrepreneur's course, as long as what you're doing is directionally correct, you know, you're going in the right direction, you're moving and maintaining momentum and making forward progress. It's better than perfection. So yeah. progress, not perfection. That's that's the that's the the, the kind of mantra that I also kind yeah. kind of keep in my head. Mm. Definitely, definitely. Okay. Um, in terms of, so you talk you talk a lot about sales. So, what advice or objections do you frustration do you have with working with dentists that want to sell face aesthetics to their patients? Um, we get the old story where the dentist says to the Mrs. Jones, you look a bit haggard, you need some Botox and ends up with a black eye every night. <laughs> there. So, any tips that you can give our listeners on communicating to their patients if they want to introduce facial aesthetics into their clinic? Yeah. So so first first things first, uh, Harry, I, I, you, you know this because I think you've got a copy. So I wrote a book. Uh, back in so I published the first book in 2020, which was a book for sales teams. And it was how how sales teams can sell in a business to business environment. And a lot of a lot of dental teams picked it up and a lot of dentists picked up the book. And I had a number of requests from people saying, have you considered, seeing as you're working in the dental market, writing this book through the lens of a dentist and a patient, which I then subsequently released a second book, which came out uh, last year in 2022. And the first book was called Inspire Influence Sell. Don't don't buy that one, right? Because that's for sales teams. The second book was called Inspire Consult Sell, and it was for dental teams. And in that book, we talk through a structure that is a a proven structure for sales and influencing. And it's a a really kind of comprehensive model, but it's also quite simple and straightforward, so you can pick it up. And, And what I would say is, in terms of what makes the difference. So one, take a consultative approach to those conversations with patients. And what that means is ask more questions (laughs) and listen carefully to what your patient tells you. So rather than saying you look haggard, Mrs. Jones, to ask her a question, oh, Mrs. Jones, how do do you feel about, you know, your your appearance? Just ask her the question. How do you feel about your appearance? Have you thought about, you know, any changes you want to make? What, what difference would that make to you? What, you know, what have you considered in the past? How would you like it? How would you like your facial appearance to look? And the patient will tell you. Yeah. And just asking questions and listening carefully. And then from there, you naturally start to gather the patient's needs. They'll tell you what's important. And that, that early part of any consultation 
to really get curious about the patient, to ask them great questions, let them, there's a couple of things that happen when you ask people questions. The first is not only do they tell you what they need, but the second is they start to articulate it for themselves. And when people articulate it for themselves, they start to convince themselves and clarify what they're thinking about. And that's really important because as a clinician or a service provider, that enables you all the relevant information so that you can then say, so, so this is specifically what you're looking for. And when the patient says yes, that's when you can explain how you help them to achieve it. And the big mistake salespeople make, clinicians make, not just dental clinicians, you know, clinicians in all sorts of uh, fields. And I work with, with people inside and outside of dentistry is that they start talking about the service proposition or the offer too early in the process. Yeah. So they haven't understood what the patient needs. They start talking, well, we do Botox, we do fillers, we can help to remove this, we can make you look like this. We can, And because the patient hasn't had the chance to articulate what they're thinking, then everything you, you are presenting to them meets some form of resistance. Yeah. And then you find yourself in this situation, you feel like you're trying to convince someone to do something that you know they want to do, but they're still resisting. And all you need to do is take a step back, ask questions at the start of the consultation, understand what the patient needs then you can then you can present a, a solution that meets what they've told you they need and we have a really nice structure that we follow through the book if anybody wants to, to grab a copy of the book then feel free it's on amazon inspire consult sell it's a really nice read the other thing we start to talk about in the book is professional development thinking about how you communicate not just with patients but with team members really starting to, to take communication to the next level so that it becomes you know, a vehicle for growing your, your practice, engaging patients and engaging your teams. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, and there's an old phrase I know, prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. Yeah. Yes, yeah, true. Yeah, absolutely. It's all part of the diagnosis phase, absolutely. And we get delegates that um, come and they observe me and they, they're quite shocked because normally I talk a lot. And doing our consultations, I'm doing about 10% of the talking. Mm. The patient's doing that 90% of the talking. Yeah. So look, going on to exactly book. how it should be, Harry. Yeah, exactly how it should be. Yeah. So leads us nicely on to the next question. What are the three books you would recommend our audience? So um, I, the thing is, there's a, there's, a phrase, there's a phrase I heard a couple of years ago after I published, which was... Um, it's not the book you read that changes your life. It's the it's the book you write. So I'd have to recommend my own book. Right? So Inspire, Consult, Sell has to be one of the three. Um, but there's a couple of books that I've found really valuable. The first is, is very, uh, very well read. Uh, and you'll have heard of it. It's Simon Sinek's Start With Why. Yeah. And I really, I, I love that book because it's a great reminder of what really influences and motivates people. It's not what or how you do something, it's why you do it. And yeah. it, just, just the way he explains it is, is superb and it uses a lot of real life examples. So Start With Why is, is a book that I would highly recommend. The, the third book is a book that I read about 2014 and I was, I was reading it in the context of running a business for, for uh, I worked for 3M and yeah. we rolled out this uh, entrepreneurial operating system through the business division that we were working in 3M and it was called Traction. Yeah. And Traction uh, is written by a, a guy called Gino Wickman. And it really does, I don't know if you've read it, Harry, but it talks it's through, the orange cover, isn't it? That's the one, yeah, the orange cover and the tire tracks uh, yeah. through through the through the book cover. 
and it basically talks you through the six components of an entrepreneurial operating system that helps you to get better traction within your business. So it, it, I very often will go back to it as a sense check for my own business and the, the strategy I'm running and the way that I operate, just because there's always, uh, you know, those nuances around how you develop, you know, really solid plans for your business and get your team on board and make sure that you've got the right people working in the business doing the right things. It's a really useful guide to scaling, whether it's a practice or a business. As you said at the start, it, a, a practice is a business. And the more we recognize that, the, the more successful we can become. So they're my three. The, the book I wrote, Inspire, Consult, Sell, Start With Why from Simon Sinek and Traction from Gino Whitman. Excellent books, excellent books. And you touched on a point like you. I don't, don't read a book once. I may come back to it mm. a couple of years later because you're at a different position. You'll pick up new things from that book because Absolutely. of the rest and you're looking at different things um, mm. way. Yeah, so important. Yeah, so important. Just that that repetitive learning. I find I do have to go back to, to key principles, key concepts, because where you are in your journey, you, you pick up different elements and different aspects and different value from it, don't you? Yeah. yeah. I don't think my wife agrees because he keeps on telling me the same stuff every year about tidying up, cleaning and stuff. But I don't improve. Um, <laughs> That's a different thing altogether, Eric. That's yeah. listening. <laughs> um, bit of fun. Have you ever posted a TikTok video? Yes. So I, <laughs> if you go on TikTok, oh, actually don't. Should I tell people this? Um, if you go on TikTok, I think I still have the account One Minute Coach. Okay. And my kids were into TikTok during the pandemic. So I, during the pandemic, I set up a TikTok account and just recorded a lot of short one minute videos. So I've got quite a, I've got quite a catalog on, on TikTok. So one minute coach is my uh, handle on TikTok. Have a, have a look, um, have a laugh. And, and I was going to say something else when you said one minute. I said, what's going to come out of his mouth next? But... <laughs> Uh, no comment, Harry. No comment. It's Valentine's Day as well. So, no yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so, obviously, you worked with a lot of dentists. So, what advice would you give to our listeners that are just starting out in facial aesthetics? Yeah, I think uh, so. So, a lot of it is about making it obvious. You know, yeah. so making sure that people realize that you are practicing facial aesthetics. So whether that is, uh, you know, signage, whether that is, you know, making sure that in your patient uh, lounges, patient waiting areas, that there is some form of representation that you do it. Uh, I'm a great um, believer in kind of testimonials and, and advocacy. Yeah. So for every patient that is pleased to do so, you know, gather their testimonials, get, get Google reviews, if you can get video testimonials from patients, they're really powerful. I think the, the, there's a. I think most practices have got a bit of a sleeping giant of a marketing opportunity, and that's their existing patient base. Yeah, definitely. and I don't know many practices that that actively market to their existing patients through you know email marketing, through their patient management system, and gathering information as patients come in for appointments. So I think that for people early in the journey just start to signpost the patients and, and create some awareness with your existing patient base. I think people will be surprised at just how effective that is in starting to develop those early cases. Yeah, as you know, in marketing terms, it's all picking the lowest hanging fruit. Yes. Existing patients have got that trust and credibility already with you. So to your advantage, compared to when we train doctors and the medical nurses, they've got no existing patient base. 
So dentists do have that unfair advantage. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And patients who are, as you, as you say, Harry, not only do they already trust you, but probably are already thinking about it yeah. and are probably wondering who they can trust. And so you, you you actually bring forward that, you know, that purchase decision from the patient because they they feel ready to, to commit much earlier with somebody they already trust. Yeah, very good. Perfect. I'm going to put you on the spot now. Since you're the communications expert, one of the frustrations dentists say are, how do I approach patients asking for Google reviews and testimonials? Um, I know obviously some, I know sometimes it's insecurities themselves to fear of people saying no. Yeah. Have you got any way of overcoming or any scripts you can give our listeners to get more testimonials and video, um, sorry, video testimonials and Google reviews? Yeah, so um, a couple of things that are really useful. The first is don't wait until the appointment where you want to get the review. Okay. So if you there's, there's a lot of studies done on this that are really useful that show if you ask somebody if they would do something in the future, they're much more likely to say yes than if you say, would you do it for me now? Okay. So really early in the consultation, as soon as the patient's committed and you're going to book in that next treatment appointment, ask at that point. So in, in this future appointment, if we get you the result you're looking for, would you agree to a testimonial for us? Yeah. And people are much more likely to say, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, in a, in a week's time or a month's time, whatever they're coming in, absolutely, I would do it then. And then it's not a surprise. The other thing that happens is the patient's then prepared so they can they can prepare themselves. They can make sure their hair's done how they want it to. They can make sure that, you know, they've got their, if they want to do it with their camera, they can get their camera. Um, so, so asking for permission in advance is really powerful. Uh, the, the second thing then is if you're doing uh, kind of before and after shots or, or you want uh, like a patient selfie, a lot of younger patients are really particular about how they look in selfies so to give them, it's a great tip I heard. And actually, what I didn't make this one up. I think Shaz Memon I heard mentioned yeah. this. Give the patient the camera so that they can take the picture and the angle that they want. Yeah. And if they get the angle that they want because they're used to taking their own picture, they're much more likely to then share that. So you get the viral kind of sharing that happens naturally on social, on social media, the organic reach as well. So ask for permission at first. Make sure the patient is happy with the picture because if they're not happy with the picture, they won't share it. You want you want stuff that goes that becomes shareable, um, and and then the video. Uh, the other thing to remember about video is just make sure that because um, I've had this happen to me a few times. Be clear on what you want the what you want the patient to answer. So have a couple of key questions ready so that the patient can rehearse so that when you video, they know what they're going to say. Otherwise, what you'll end up with is. Harry's a great doctor. I really like him. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's no good to you or anybody else. So you want them to talk about the experience and have a couple of questions lined up in advance. So be prepared. They're, they're the kind of three things that, uh, that I advise people. Perfect. So I was looking on your LinkedIn profile. and uh, mm. talks about obviously, sales training, leadership, author, and high performance, high performance coach, which is a subject close to my heart. If you want yeah. to expand on high, is that high performance as you as a person? physical fitness, team, or as a leader? It, it's probably a combination. I, I would say it's it, actually it's about enabling all of our teams to perform at the highest level possible for them. Okay. And, and for everybody, it's going to be slightly different. But it's also 
once you start to focus on high performance and, and that will mean something different to to everybody that you talk to about it yeah. once you start to focus on high performance it's amazing how that direction sets a series a, a kind of momentum that moves forward and one of the, one of the questions that i've always asked since um, since fairly early in my leadership career when i was taught this by a mentor is in one-to-ones with my team to ask them what does the highest level of performance look like for you? And, and be prepared that, uh, that at first take, people probably will be confused by the question, as odd as that sounds. People will probably not quite understand it. They might say, well, I'm not sure, and that's fine. But to make that a repetitive question, so what does the highest level of performance look like for you? And when they start to get clear on it and, be, and become comfortable with it, because some people will be uncomfortable with the question, but once they become comfortable with it, they'll start to articulate it and say, well, actually, it probably looks like this in this setting. Or I think it looks like this when I'm in this situation. And then as a leader, to start to ask people, you know, how can I, through our relationship, how can I help you to reach higher levels of performance? And that for that to become the predominant question that together you work on so that you are helping your teams to continually elevate and improve performance. That's really powerful. And, and there are some tangible things you can do. So helping your teams to set performance goals. What do, what do the key elements of performance look like? Helping them to set targets for themselves and you know what they're delivering in practice start to help them to have solid development plans so that they start to think about how they perform better in future and they start to think about their own capabilities and improving those capabilities. All of that becomes a high-performance journey that you and they go on together. And it, it isn't, you know, is as we said earlier, Harry, it, it isn't a one-time thing. It's not something that you do with somebody once. It becomes a continuum of, of improvement and, uh, and elevation of performance. Thank you, Dustin. It's mm, a pleasure. So um, the time's gone really quick. So mm. if our listeners want to find out more information about you, obviously we'll include some links, but where where can they find you? Uh, so I am active on LinkedIn, on Facebook, and on Instagram. So uh, Justin Lee, it's L-E-I-G-H. And the business is Focus for Growth. So we're the website is Focus for number four growth.com co.uk so they yeah. can get me through the website or just search justin lee on linkedin on facebook or i'm the dental growth coach on instagram so any of those channels and, and please feel free to connect with me i'm always uh, open to a message and a conversation so if anybody would like to to make contact feel free to do so and a one minute coach on tiktok don't forget that <laughs> don't talk about it a lot but i am the one minute coach on TikTok yeah. as well. Uh, no, thank you, um, Justin, for your time. I've made loads of notes. I'm going to implement quite a lot of those. Uh, um, so, no, thank you, Justin, for your time. It's been really um, educational and catch up soon. Pleasure. Thanks, Harry. And thanks, everyone, for listening.